Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Masters Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to talk a little bit about counseling because there are some misconceptions about what counseling is, what it's designed for, and how it can help your relationship. Now, one of the first things that you need to recognize is that counseling in and of itself is not going to solve all of your problems. And premarital counseling is not going to guarantee you're not going to have any problems in your relationship. Right? Counseling is not necessarily about solving your problems for you, but helping you work through your problems for you to be able to solve yourself. It's also about preparing you for the challenges that are about to come. Now, people get the idea that counseling is the same thing as therapy, and it's not. You know, you, you got to understand the difference. A counsel is basically an advisor. And so this is why you'll see uh, people saying they have their own personal counsel of advisors. Well, same thing with marriage. You want to find people that have great marriages. Now, you can go to a professional counsel. You can go and get a coach. If at all possible, you'll want someone that you know, like, and trust. Don't just go with the first quack that you come across and go, oh, they have some sort of certificate. They must be good. And you need to make sure that the person is actually you know, going to remain neutral in giving you advice. So, ladies, don't go off and find some you know, far-left feminist psychopath just because you know they're always going to agree with you and help gang up on your man. And, guys, don't try and go off and find some deep-rooted misogynist who you know is just going to gang up with you on your wife and attack them and trying to make your partner feel like they're always wrong so that you can always get your way. I remember I was watching uh, this TV show on Netflix, uh, The Ozark, where the guy uh, goes through and agrees that, hey, maybe we need some counseling. And the counselor was always siding with him against his wife. And then uh, after an episode or two, you see that he is bribing the counselor. Well, this is not the way to go. A counselor is not about browbeating the other person. Now, we got to understand what the word counselor means. You know, to get counseling, it is just getting advice, getting help to work through a problem. People, you know, may be able to tell you from personal experience or from their experience with other people. This is what worked for them. This is how you can go about it. When you really think about it, this podcast in and of itself could be considered counseling. Now, should I be your only counselor? Probably not. No, you should be getting counseling from multiple different sources. And you can think about it also in terms of finances as it relates to your particular relationship. People get financial advisors. Well, that's counseling. They're getting advice. They're, they're having a group of people be able to help them determine what the best course of action is. When you take a look at businesses, well, a board of directors is really a group of counselors who are advising the CEO and the co corporate executives on what to do going forward in the business that has the greatest potential of maximizing their profits. So when you start taking a look at the idea of premarital counseling, 
right? What you're really trying to do is try and set yourself up, set your marriage up for success. It should be about you preparing to to forget about the I in life and think about it in terms of we. You, It's all about transitioning your thoughts to a we mindset that now you have a partner that you are completely accountable for or accountable to for every decision that is made. You know, making that transition whereby the only person you ever needed to get permission from in order to buy that thing or to go ahead and do this activity was yourself. Well, maybe yourself in your bank account. And so it can be tough when you make that transition of, okay, I can no longer just go out and spend money just whenever the impulse hits. I need to actually communicate this with my spouse. You know, are they having a purchase plan? And if they do and they didn't tell you, well, then they're committing the same mistakes that you are. So don't worry, you're not in it alone. But this is why you go through and, you know, you start realizing, hey, you need to do a budget, you know, because you both need to agree on what you're going to spend your money on and how much you're going to spend on certain items. You know, so it's all about evolving from the me to the we is what counseling should be about and how to prepare you for that mindset. Counseling should also be about helping you guide uh, out how you're going to plan out your future, right? What type of family values will you instill on your kids? If you go back a few episodes, counseling, in my opinion, you know, especially the premarital counseling, should be walking you through putting together your family constitution, you know, where you come to an agreement in the premarital counseling section, how many kids you're going to have, whether you're going to be a family of faith and religion or not, you know, what your worth work ethics are going to be and what the expectation is on each other as it relates to work. It's going to be how many children. Are you going to be uh, planning to have? How are you going to raise them? And so on and so forth. How you're going to handle money? What's your family's view of debt going to be? Are you going to be, you know, full on Dave Ramsey uh, family? You know, where you have a complete hatred and disregard for any and all debt? Or are you thinking that debt is, you know, something that you can use responsibly? This is all going to be hashed out. You know, especially, you know, the part of how much time is going to be required to be set aside for each other each and every week. Counseling should be about walking you through, you know, how you want your marriage marriage to be, how you want your future family to be. It is not, you know, some professional who is going to dictate to you that if you do this, you will be successful. It's not a one-size-fits-all situation. And who you choose as a counselor really says a lot about you know, what your personal beliefs are. Now, a lot of people will set up as their premarital counselor, their pastor, you know, their priest. And that is a, you know, a decent role you know, for a pastor or a priest to fill, considering that they're the ones that conduct the marriage ceremony in most cases, except for the few people 
who, you know, today, I, I guess it is a growing trend to just go to the courthouse and get married by the justice of the, of the peace. But having the priest that's actually going to marry you be your premarital counsel isn't a bad idea, but you don't want to just do one counselor. You don't just want to have one advisor, right? You want to get a well-rounded perspective. And this is where you'll want to go to family members, you know, but be careful. Your family members will be a little bit biased, you know, if there's an argument about who is right, who is wrong, right? So you want to take a look at friends. Of course, there are some biases in this, and maybe you do want to go and pay some strangers, but basically you just want to get a group of people that you can rely on for your premarital counseling or you can get a set of podcasts. You know, this podcast along with some other podcasts, you know, and don't just have it related to sex and intimacy, but have it for different aspects and areas of your life. I would say do some marriage podcasts, some sex podcasts, and some finance podcasts. That can serve as your group of counselors. Now, as you go through the premarital uh, counseling, you got to take a look at some of the issues that may affect your marriage that you want to avoid or help safeguard your marriage against. Well, in order to really discuss some of the problems, you need to actually take a look at some of the key ingredients of a successful marriage, of what marriage is supposed to be about. For instance, love, honor, and cherish. We hear those words, love, honor, and cherish, but what do those words mean? You know, what does it actually mean to you? Well, first off, to love means to love unconditionally, that your love for your partner is not dependent upon what they do for you or, you know, that they agree to obey every command that you have. It is you just love them for who they are and that you're not trying to use marriage to force change uh, upon them. I mean, force change beyond the, you know, going from a me mindset to a we mindset, but you're not trying to use it to force them to change and bend to your will, but you're marrying them because you love them for who they are right now and you want to grow together. You know, it's that unconditional love where you're not, you know, where if one mistake doesn't mean that, oh my God, the world is apart and I no longer want to be with you. You know, you, you got to make sure that you actually have a good understanding going in. And second, to honor one another. Well, what does honoring one another mean? Well, it means that you have complete and total trust in one another. You have no secrets from each other. You know, barring, of course, any legal obligation, right? You know, that the only secrets that you have may be, you know, one of you as a government employee with a top secret clearance and divulging that information to your spouse would be a criminal act, you know, could land you in jail. But short of something like that, you have no secrets between you. You know, you have complete trust. You're completely open. You know everything there is to know about what's going on in each other's life and everything that is happening, right? It's when you start keeping secrets from each other that problems start to enter into the marriage. 
So to honor them is to have complete trust and faith in your partner. All right, third, to cherish one another. Well, have you ever heard uh, the phrase, keep your eyes on the prize? You are the prize. Each of you is the other one's prize. To cherish one another is all about intimacy. Intimacy that comes in many forms, spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical, intellectual, financial. You know, our recreational work commitment, you know, it's all about, you know, believing that you are the luckiest person there is for having married the person that you did. That's what it means to cherish each other. And remember, your wedding vows, when you get to it, means till death do you part which means you are agreeing that you're going to be going through thick and thin, rich or poor, sickness and in health, till death do you part, which means you're agreeing to this is my one and only partner for the rest of my life, no matter what, which means you do not just give up at the first sign of, oh my God, this is getting hard. All right, now there may be some situations in which, yeah, I get it. You might get out, give up and go for a divorce, you know, but if it's just because, oh man, I just don't get to do uh, my way all the time. He actually expects that we do some of the things that he wants to do. Oh my God, this is horrible. We need to get a divorce. No, 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 no. You know, till death do us part means that you're committed to working out problems and, you know, bumps along the way. You know, short of, you know, there being a very drastic change whereby one of you becomes very abusive towards the other. And what we are trying to do here is safeguard against some of the biggest marriage killers. Now, one of the biggest reasons why marriages end in divorce is money fights and money problems. You're not communicating about how to handle your money. You're not communicating about what your financial priorities in your house is. You're just going off spending willy-nilly and you're fa- and every month you're facing the possibility of losing your ha- play, uh, losing your home. That kind of stress is going to be, you know, kill any marriage, you know, if it goes on for any length of time. So you got to get your money right to avoid one of the biggest reasons why marriages fail. You got to get your money. And besides, getting your money right just makes life easier in general for anything else that you want to do, for all other situations. But beyond that, you know, some of the marriage killers are contempt. You become indifferent. You you develop apathy and you withdraw from one another. You know, translation, um, you don't really, you don't talk to each other anymore. You know, you don't feel like you're, it's worth talking. You know, what's going on is worth talking about to your partner and your partner isn't, you know, worth talking to anymore you withdraw you know you're no longer engaged you know hugging or kissing or paying attention to your partner you're spending your you know um your spouse or or sending your spouse um the message you aren't worthy of me anymore you know you become pretty much arrogant and apathetic like i've outgrown my partner they're just you know, they just haven't grown up with me. And, you know, I, I just no longer have any feelings. They're just someone who lives in the house. You know, someone that I, you know, had kids with, but, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. 
yeah, you need to be intentional. I mean, it is easy, you know, seeing someone every day, day in and day out to start, you know, having uh, indifference, you know, sudden, or maybe not indifference, but complacency where you start taking them for granted. And when that happens, you know, you start becoming indifferent over time. You develop apathy. You start withdrawing. And eventually you can develop contempt for another person that you become, you know, that you can feel like you're superior to them and that they're just this little ant. Now, that, that is one thing. Or you just feel contempt because, you know, they're not just saying yes to everything. You know, know, there is so much to that contempt, indifference, apathy, and withdrawal. All right, another marriage killer. You know, having issues with honesty, integrity, and confidentiality. Honesty is so fundamental and so important in a relationship. If your spouse can't trust you, who can they trust? I mean, you're the person they agreed to marry, to spend their life with to give their mind, body, and soul to, to have children with. If they come to a point where they just can't trust you, then they can't trust anybody when you think about it. And if they do find someone else that they do trust, well, then it's easy for your relationship to go down the tubes at at that particular point as they start pulling away for somebody else. You know, it's why people uh, with addictions in a relationship find themselves you know, having problems holding a stable relationship. You know, they do. Because honesty is always the best policy in a relationship. And it means telling the truth and the whole truth. But when you are with someone who has, you know, an addiction and they know you don't like it, then they, you know, go through and they try to hide it. They start lying. And once someone is, you know, known to you know, be constantly lying to you, you know, and having integrity issues, well, then you realize, well, I can't trust anything they say. Why should I believe anything they say? If they tell me why they did something or what happened to something, how do I know that that's true? And if you don't know that that's true, if you feel like, you know, you just can't trust it, then, you know, it leads to all other problems and confidentiality. You know, if you tell your spouse something, and confidence, and then they just go around and tell a whole bunch of other people just because they think it's funny. Well, that destroys trust in a relationship as well. Of course, cheating is a big one. You know, you want to make sure that you don't hit into a situation uh, where cheating in a relationship, you know, comes along. And you know, really, that's a lot about what this podcast is about: is to ensure that. at least in your relationship, cheating doesn't become an issue because you're taking care of your partner, both emotionally and sexually, right? And now I start with sexually first and emotionally second, but that's because sexual uh, intimacy leads to emotional intimacy and outside. You know, cheating usually results as, you know, uh, as... Based off of what I see, cheating is usually just the result of someone feeling like something is lacking in their marriage, lacking in their relationship, and they think that they are finding it with this other person. 
and they tend to not have the you know the the ability to end the relationship with the person they no longer desire before they go around because you know while they feel like something's missing in their own relationship they're not sure if they can find it with this other person so they just cheat you know it's a way of well i'm going to sort of date around a little bit behind my partner's back until i find that one person that i think is you know a better so you know and but i don't want to leave my partner yet because while they may not be perfect i might not find anything better and so that's kind of the mindset of cheating and some of it is not even looking for something better but they just feel like there is so much lacking in their relationship and they're just looking for a little bit of excitement so you want to go off and find you know um you know a way uh, of life, you know, that counseling can help you with that helps safeguard you from that potential outcome. I've talked about fetishes in the past on previous episodes, and I've explained how some people have fetishes based off of certain things that happen in their life. You know, some guys may have a fetish about receiving a blowjob because the first time they had sex, they didn't get the blowjob. Right? The woman uh, that they were having sex with, did, you know, didn't have the self confidence in order to do it, and so now because of that was lacking in the very first experience, now they have a fetish that they want it all the time as part of their regular sexual activity, you know. And for women, they can have a bunch of fetishes as well. You know, some women, you know, just you know want to be tied up, blindfolded, gagged with a butt plug while they're having sex. I mean, that could be, you know, part of their fetish or, you know, something that they want to add into the relationship. I mean, there are so many things that go along with fetishes and wondering if, you know, these fetishes, you know, are weird. Some of you hold back from telling your partner what your fetish is because you're afraid of how they're going to react and what they're going to think of you. And I've explained before that, Holding back from telling your partner what it is you want in bed is going to lead you to having a less than fulfilling sex life and how you should explain these fetishes early on or what your sexual desires are early on in the relationship so that you're not marrying somebody who is incompatible with you sexually. Yes, now that is one thing, but you also have to be careful on the other end of the spectrum of only being in a relationship especially a relationship that may not be good for you because it fits a particular fetish. You know, there may be some people out there who, you know, let's say on the guy's side of things, you know, some guys have a fetish whereby they want Asians, you know, their, their fetish is Asian girls. And so they'll go out there and they'll seek only Asian girls because only Asian girls can satisfy that particular fetish. Now, they may at some point in time try and substitute that by trying to get you to dress up like, you know, an Asian girl would over there in uh, China or Japan or something and look like an Asian doll. Now, this is not healthy to marry somebody or to be in a relationship with somebody only because they satisfy that particular fetish, because it may turn out that you have absolutely nothing else in common. And if you're only with them because of a particular fetish, you are setting yourself up for an unhealthy relationship where 
you are just going to be fighting and arguing about everything else because you're just not compatible. And you know what? These fetishes can go beyond just, oh, guys have an Asian fetish or whatever. It could also be, you know, some people have a foot fetish where for some reason they're very much attracted to feet, how you keep your feet and, you know, just want to play with your feet. You know, there's all types of things. And, you know, women, you have fetishes too. You have certain things that, you know, just really turn you on and you don't know why. Maybe it is you want someone, you know, to be like a daddy uh, to you or, you know, not a sugar daddy, but you have daddy issues. And so you're looking for someone to fill that role of a daddy or, you know, you, you know, want to get into some really, I don't know, some really out there fetishes where you like to be hurt during sex. You know, you like, you know, bruises to be left. You really want to be spanked really hard with a paddle or, you know, something like that. I mean, there are a lot of unhealthy fetishes out there. By unhealthy, I mean, it's the only reason why you're in that particular relationship. And, you know, fetishes are kind of one of those weird things. You can be with someone who is actually perfect for you. They treat you great. They treat you you know, like you are the most important thing in the world. They give you the attention you need and, you know, they're going to be there to be able to help provide for you, lift you up and help you accomplish your goals. And yet if they don't satisfy one particular fetish, you know, you may still be unhappy in a relationship. And in another situation, you know, you could have someone who treats you like absolute garbage. And yet for some reason you keep staying only because they satisfy that particular fetish. So when it comes to fetishes, yes, you do need to be upfront and honest and, you know, tell your partner about what it is you desire sexually, what it is that your fetish that really turns you on is. But at the same point in time, or at the same, you know, time, you need to be honest with yourself about whether or not that fetish is healthy for you in your relationship. And some fetishes can be the result of trauma where it becomes a cope, a coping mechanism. And this is dangerous because if you're using, you know, your fetishes as a coping mechanism for some particular trauma that happened early on in life, then what you are really doing in that particular situation, even though it really turns you on sexually, you're basically turning your partner into, you know, an image of or an icon or representation of that particular uh, drama or traumatic event. You know, some of you have rape fantasies because, you know, and some of you may have rape fetishes because you were raped. And so now, you know, you have this sexual uh, proclivity to want your sexual interactions with your partner to give you that feeling of being raped, well, then you're basically impugning upon your partner, you know, the role of the person who had previously raped you. I know, I know, I know it is kind of strange how some of these fetishes, you know, happen and come about, you know, and everything. And like I said, fetishes, what you got to be careful of is that some of them are a coping mechanism and it's an unhealthy coping mechanism. And so what you should be doing in order to avoid turning your partner into an object of 
you know, representing one of your greatest pains in your life is to be honest about the fetishes that you have, what's driving behind it, what event may, you know, you be coping with. Now, some of the fetishes out there are just for the adrenaline. You know, you're just unhappy with life. You just, you know, don't like the way things are going. And so you're trying to get some sort of adrenaline. And maybe that's why, you know, some of you engage in the whole BDSM, you know, because you're just looking for extra excitement or some fetishes are the result of being unhappy with your particular lifestyle. You know, there are fetishes in which, you know, uh, people who are in high stress jobs, you know, they're high up there on the corporate ladder. They're in charge trying to make decisions each and every day, you know, constantly stressed out. You know, if they make one, one wrong move, you know, one big mistake and everything comes crashing down. Well, then their fetish is that when they're off of work and they're with their partner is to have no control, to be a slave, to be a submissive, to be completely dominated. Why? Because that's how they cope with the high stress, you know, lifestyle that they lead, you know, the high stress of their chosen career and their current job. And so when we go through and we talk about fetishes, I, categorize it as two different types of fetishes, healthy fetishes and unhealthy fetishes. And the difference between the two is not about, you know, the fetish itself, what the act of that fetish itself. You could have two people engaging in, you know, um, being a dominant and a submissive, right? Two couples. And in one situation, it is healthy. The other situation, it is unhealthy, even though they're doing the exact same thing. Because uh, the difference between a healthy fetish and an unhealthy fetish is what is driving it. What is the motivation? Is it the fact that you do it because you think it's fun, it's exciting, it really helps you, you know, enjoy sex and have that nice big orgasm? Or are you just using it as a coping mechanism to avoid dealing with other issues or problems that are going on in your life? And understanding that can be the difference between having a healthy, happy, fulfilling relationship, you know, a happy, healthy marriage, and a life that you enjoy, and a life that you are trying to escape. Right? Because if you're engaging in activities just because you're trying to escape what is going on in your life, you're never going to find the happiness. You're never going to be content. You're never going to be satisfied with anything that is going on. Right? Because escapism is avoiding the problems that need to be confronted in order to be solved. No one has ever ever gotten anywhere avoiding problems and challenges in life. You know, and maybe for some of you, uh, if you're engaging in anal, but you don't really like it and it's painful, maybe it's just because you're trying to avoid the fact that life is just fucking you over every which way from Sunday, that you're basically getting bent over backwards without any lube metaphorically in life. Whether that be from the policies of government in your particular area or, you know, what your boss is doing to you, you know, working you um, basically 
you know, ragged, you know, burning the candles at both ends. And so because you feel like you're getting bent over, um, you know, backwards anyways in life, you know, you're playing that out, you know, physically as a representation of that. And so you got to start taking a look here at what fetishes that you have, you know, especially if you're not, you know, extremely happy in your own life or you feel like, you know, your marriage and your relationship is not going the way you want. And yet, you know, you engage in fetishes. You need to start taking stock of these fetishes that you have and start analyzing why it is you're engaging in those because you got to be honest with yourself. Honesty with yourself needs to be number one priority because if you can't be honest with yourself, you can't be honest with your partner. And so you need to go through, you know, and remember, this is if you feel unhappy, you know, life isn't going good and, you know, you feel unhappy in your relationship and yet you're engaging in all these uh, fetishes. Now, you know, even if you're not really engaging in fetishes uh, as well, maybe this is also some good advice. So take a look at what's going on in your life and then be honest with yourself. Or the things that you're doing, whether it's, you know, sexually, whether it's, you know, how you're spending your money and, you know, all of that. Is it because of avoidance or not? I mean, when we talk about finances, if we were to put this in money terms, a lot of you are out there and your finances are in complete shamble. Why? Because you're not spending your money wisely in order to build for the future. You're just basically spending money to medicate your depression and unhappiness in the present. And you're killing your future as a result. So you need to go through and take stock, analyze everything that is going on. You know, if you're in an unhappy situation or you're not able to find fulfillment and, you know, satisfied um, in life or commitment and just analyze everything that is going on and then try and figure out whether or not those actions or avoidance, or whether or not they're just things that you actually really do enjoy. Okay, so there is one more thing on this episode that I do want to cover here, and I'm sure it's a topic that you've heard a lot about in the last week or two, and that is this Netflix movie, uh, Cuties. All right, now this is a disgusting movie. You know, I'm going to flat out say it. Because it is, to me, what appears to be pedophile porn, you know, or soft porn for pedophiles. Now, I get that there are actually people out there that are trying to defend this movie and trying to say, well, it actually, in the end, maybe has a a message about being against the stuff that they did in the movie. And I I can kind of see that point there, you know, but. In the end, we're talking about 11-year-olds in in a movie twerking and there being close-up camera angle shots of their butts and their chest and crotch shots. All right, this is not how you go about it. Now, there are some messages in it that are probably not objectionable. You know, messages that kind of say, hey, parents, we need to pay attention to what's going on with our kids. Now, luckily, I don't have daughters, so this is not going to be a concern for me. Now, we have three kids, and they're all three boys. 
And the reason why we had three is because we kept trying to get a daughter and it just didn't happen. It just wasn't in the cards for us. So anyways, it does kind of go off and talk about how as a country, yes, you know, we do over-sexualize various things. I mean, half-naked women are used to sell so much products in this country. And when we take a look at, you know, who is being idolized, you know, the celebrity class, I get that, yes, they act in a very sexually and provocative way. And all of this is on the internet, of course. Everything's on the internet. And so I, I get that, you know, some of the messaging is not bad, right? That we need to pay more attention to what our kids are looking at online. We need to take a look at what they're doing with their friends, you know, being parents because of what could happen if we're not doing anything or paying attention whatsoever. However, that all said, that is not an excuse to create what amounts to soft porn for pedophiles. That is not an excuse to be able to create a movie in which you are doing crotch shots on an 11-year-old. Now, there's also the issue that this film was not made in the U.S., you know, which is where I'm located. And so there may be mm, difference in laws. I don't know how things are over in France where this movie, uh, from what I know, uh, was made. But Netflix, you know, having picked that up. Okay, now, if they picked that up and only showed it in countries like France or countries where such a movie, you know, would be okay and not in violation of the law, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, as long as they're, only showing it in places where that movie, I guess, is apparently legal, then fine. You know, different countries, different norms, different cultures, whatever. But they not only made it available in the U.S., they promoted it in the U.S. And so I don't think that, you know, just because you're going off and trying to, you know, send a message, that that gives you a right or an excuse to engage in what is otherwise very horrible behaviors and practices by the producers and those who created the movie. And so, yes, we are in this situation here where, you know, there's kind of a split where between what the messaging is of the movie and how they went about delivering that message. And just like everything else, you have politics that, Enter the conversation. And what's interesting is when you take a look at the politics that is entered in the conversation, you have both the conservative right and the liberal left, both outraged at this movie, both unified in the outrage at this movie. And cancellation of Netflix subscriptions has gone through the roof. But then you take a look at the Blue Check Brigade. You know, the, you know, pseudo journalists, you know, that believe that they are the top of society and they're the ones that determine what everybody thinks and knows about the situation, actually trying to come out and defend the situation or defend this movie and has actually come out and tried telling people that, 
if you are against this movie, if you hate this movie, it's because you're against black people or you're against, you know, um, women, you know, or, you know, women of color. I, there's actually people trying to attack you as racist if you don't like seeing crotch shots of 11-year-olds with this movie. So it just kind of goes off and shows you about, well, a couple of things, you know, about society. You know, and I won't get into uh, any more, you know, deep diving into how this is splitting politically, you know, and that the political split is not between the left and the right but between the average people and the elitists. But, I mean, my God, you know, what are we coming to? I mean, I, I get, yes, as adults, we are sexual beings, right? But we've also matured. We've also, you know, went through our entire childhood. You know, we weren't, you know, the whole sexualization and becoming a sexual being is not something that you're born you're not born you know sexually intimate right this is something that goes on something that you grow that you grow into as you know you go through you know the late stages of puberty you know we there's a reason why we denounce you no know, sex with you know uh, children or children having sex because it is damaging to, if you start off, you know, with sex and all of that at a very young age. And yes, there is, you know, a conversation to be had about biology, about why women, you know, uh, become fertile and can, you know, start ovulating, you know, for children at younger ages. But you know, when you actually take a look at the biology, and this is what's interesting, it has to do uh, with weight. And so, you know, women are becoming um, fertile and, you know, capable of reproducing at younger ages. But a lot of that has to do with our lifestyle changes or basically our food habits, you know, with the, you know, artificial hormones that are injected into our meat supplies. You know, uh, you know, the, you know, cows, pigs and such, you know, the overeating, you know, as it tends to be triggered, you know, by weight, you know, and there's just so much more uh, to that where changes in how we, you know, go about our food, our eating, our diet habits and all that, you know, may trigger that, you know, to happen at a younger age. But just because it happens at a younger age doesn't mean it's healthy. Uh, and so there's, you know, so if you're, I, I guess I'm really trying to get out here that, you know, the messaging is, is separate from, you know, the, you know, from how they went about the message. So, I mean, if you were to go along and say that, okay, the message is this girl, um, you know, isn't, you know, is basically in defiance of, you know, her family's traditional values gets into this whole twerk dancing and looking at online videos. And then at the end realizes that all of this provocative dancing was wrong and goes back to being, you know, very conservative uh, towards her family values. Okay. Yes. You know that I can understand that message. If you're going to talk about this being about a message about 
how we need to go on and pay more attention to our kids and what they're doing. Granted, I agree. If you think you needed crotch shots of 11-year-olds in order to get that message, that is wrong. Right? You didn't need that. Now, I know it's easy to say that, you know, we could have just upped the age a bit, you know, maybe 18-year-olds, but 18-year-olds are adults, you know, who are sexual beings. So maybe you got, you know, 18-year-olds who could play, you know, um, 15 and 16-year-olds, you know, but I also understand that as they get older, yes, you do parent less. And so, you know, it's really interesting how to go about it. And you can see how, you know, where my big disagreement is with this movie and where my outrage is, is the, you know, fact that they actually went through, you know, the camera angles, you know, the close-ups and, you know, you could have done uh, the movie without all of the close-up and, you know, the camera angles where they were, you know, and kind of tone it down you know, you know, quite a bit, and it probably would have been an okay movie. But it was how they went about it. You know, it seems like it was a pedophile who was creating this movie specifically for pedophiles, is what it seemed like. And so, yeah. When we go through, though, as we are taking a look at the outrage at this particular um, movie. And there is definite reason to be outraged. It may also, you know, serve as, you know, a wake-up call for self-reflection on our culture and where we've gone as a society. You know, and maybe, maybe, you know, it goes for, you know, maybe having a real conversation about how to set up better safeguards and how to not make, you know, such, you know, content and, you know, and sexuality so easily accessible by such young children. And yes, as we get older, we do become more highly sexualized. We need to, otherwise the species would go extinct. But there is a cutoff point. And we need to be thinking about that. And I'm just kind of afraid with the way things are going that they're going to start repealing back some of the pedophile laws and start promoting or okaying the idea of full-grown adults having sex with young children and preteens. Now, that is not where we want to go as a society. Do whatever you want sexually with your partner as adults, you know, as two consenting adults. But when you start adding in preteens and young children, I mean, heck, even, you know, someone in their 30s with a 16-year-old is highly questionable. You know, it is not, you know, exactly a comfortable situation. Any age with an 18-year-old, fine. You know, they're two consenting adults. You know, who are able to make the decisions. I know you're going, well, what's the real difference between 16 and 18? Well, maybe there isn't a whole lot of different physically, but, you know, mentally, there could be a world of difference. 
you know, as you grow up and you mature and you start learning more about yourself, there can be a world of difference there. So if you're going off and, you know, thinking about this movie cuties and whether or not it's right for your kids to watch it, you know, if you don't like what you see in that movie, maybe you don't want your kids watching it and want and trying to imitate it. Now, those of us who only have boys probably don't have as much of that particular problem or concern. In fact, if my boys were to watch that movie, right, and they liked it, well, there really wouldn't be a problem, you know, because to my kids, you know, as far as them watching it, you know, if you're an adult watching it and, you know, the fact that they made it was horrible, but to my kids, these 11 year olds dancing around twerking are older women, you know, from their perspective. So I, I get that maybe your age perspective may play a part in this, you know, whereby 11 year old boys looking at, you know, watching the movie might not seem uh, like that's wrong. But even at that, I still wouldn't let my kids watch this because I don't want them to think that that's how that that's what to expect from women, from girls as they grow up. I don't want that to be part of their paradigm. You know, now, yes, you know, I want them to understand, you know, that you treat women, you know, good, that women are not just sexual objects. Now, that's how I want to make sure they are raised. But at the same time, eventually they're going to become sexual beings themselves. So I, I'm pretty open if you can't tell by this podcast on sex, sexuality, sexual practices, you know, and all of that. But even at that, I have my limits. And the sexualization of 11-year-olds, that's my limit. All right. So I'd like to thank you so much uh, for tuning in. I'll be back again next week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Give me a rating and a review. You know, so that people can find me on iTunes and wherever else, you know, people are listening to this podcast. You know, go ahead, share it, listen to it with a spouse. Let them download it on their devices as well. You don't necessarily have to listen to it together. And, you know, just, I, I mean, at the same time, you know. So go ahead, leave me ratings, reviews, share this all over social media. And I will be back again soon.